Nice to see you all. Uh, today, if you're a football fan, this is a very important day. Uh, it's Championship Sunday. Do I have any New England Patriot uh, fans besides Mark Bangay here? <laughs> Anybody? We're outnumbered. Oh, yeah, yes. Dennis McKee, yep, yep, okay. Um, any Steelers fans? Yes. <laughs> the Lord will forgive you. All right. All right. Turn in your Bibles to uh, John 17. I'm going to talk about God's beautiful plan for your life and my life today. Looking at John 17, it's a it's a lengthy prayer called Jesus' High Priestly Prayer. You know, the further I get in ministry and in the Christian life, there's, there's, there's really only three things that it all boils down to, right? And that is, I need to talk to God more, so that's prayer. And I need to read what He has to say to me, and that's His Word in the Bible. And then I have to, uh, through His help, live and do how He wants me to live and do. And... Um, what Jesus has to say in these, these words uh, really helps us in that regard. So we're, we're going to put the scripture up. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read half of it myself. So you sit back and soak it in. And then when we get to about verse 9 or 10, I'll ask you to join with me and we'll read together. Sound like a plan? Good. Here we go. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted Him authority over all people, that He might give eternal life to all those you have given Him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They, are, they were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world. Thank you. But for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that Scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. 
My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by... As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Let us pray. Father in heaven, as we come before this great word this morning, this prayer of your Son, there's so much in here. There's so many words. There's so many big words. There's so many things that maybe we don't take the time to comb over. But they're so important for our lives to grasp and understand and apply and live out. And so this morning, um, just take uh, all that is said and done, Lord, here. Uh, just speak through me. Um, that your people would have their needs met. You know each one intimately. And I just pray that uh, through this message, uh, that, that somehow um, things would be clarified today, people would be encouraged, um, people would be built up, would be challenged, and that ultimately you would be glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Everybody hear me okay? All right? Good. Well, we're living in uh, crazy times. All we need to do is to uh, listen to the news, right? Read the news, uh, see the images on the internet, the television, things like that. It's a crazy hour in the history of the world that we're experiencing. And the question is, especially for believers... How do we process this? You know, some of us are really good at burying things, right? Burying our burdens, burying our thoughts. We don't, we don't raise them. We don't talk very much. Men are like that a lot. We just don't talk a lot. You know, um, we just kind of work and we just carry them up here and maybe we give them to the Lord and maybe we don't, but the world is, is, can be such a mad and bad and sad place. It affects God's people as well, even though we should be a people of hope. How do we process it? How can we be reminded of our purpose and place in this life when religious liberties are being stripped from us and when the church, especially a lot of Christians, feel that they've lost their power, they've lost their voice and culture within society? How do we process it? How do we find our place and our purpose? How can we be reminded of this? How can we be reminded, most importantly, of God's beautiful dream and His beautiful plan for your life and my life, thus the title of the message this morning. Well, I'm going to try to answer all these things. I want to direct you back to, of course, John 17. That's going to be our, our, our main text for this, this morning. As you know, Jesus had portions of His extensive teaching times in the Word of God uh, recorded in the Gospels. One of those places is the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew 5-7. to uh, that's one example. But another example is found in the Gospel of John in chapters 13 to 17. We're going to look at 17 today. And these were intimate times when Jesus was teaching His disciples, right? Meeting with them just hours, listen, just, just hours before uh, His eventual arrest. Hours before um, they would all desert Him. Just hours before He would go to the cross. And it just blows me away how Jesus was able to stay focused. To stay focused on what He needed to say, so focused on the needs of His disciples, 
when he was in a great hour of need, suffering, right? We see that in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's stumbling around. He's, he's overwhelmed with the burden of sin upon his shoulder. And yet here he is just, just hours before the cross. And his concern, his focus is on you and me. All those who would follow him, his focus is on his disciples. Blows me, blows me away. And so the Lord is in the upper room and he's speaking with his disciples. And one of the neat things about this passage in John 17 comes in verse 20. In verse 20, I don't have it up there, but I'll read it to you. Um, and the reason why it's so neat is because it includes you and me. And he says this, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So he's talking about you and I the, this morning. This means that we're included. We're included in this very prayer. Every one of us who know Jesus as our Lord, our name is there today. In the, in, in the incredible mind of Christ, in his incredible mind, the Son of God was holding up all those who'd come to him in faith, including those here this morning. Right? And so we hear a lot of messages on prayer about um, how we should approach prayer, how we should pray, and we need those messages. But in the Gospel this morning, the writer is asking us to consider how Jesus prayed for you and me. This is really neat. This is a shift in focus on prayer, right? We are to listen to the words of how Jesus prayed for us, how he is praying for us now, what's his will for us through his prayers for us. And I know it's kind of hard to shut out the events of the world, the things that have gone on in your life this past week, perhaps this morning, and kind of come to church and just focus on the word of God. And yet it is so important for our lives, right? Because there's an invitation here. There's a spiritual challenge here in this particular passage. And it's this. It's can we hear? Can we listen? Is there something, is there anything in this passage that can speak to our hearts and our minds for this coming week that will refocus us and stay with us and keep us coming back to Christ because we live in such crazy times, right? Well, this is known, as we said, as Jesus' high priestly prayer. And uh, going back to verse 1, after Jesus said this, that is everything that was spoken prior to, uh, he looked toward heaven and prayed, right? Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. You. The Father had given Jesus, the Son, authority over all people. Okay, so this morning we're sitting here, Jesus has authority over you and me, right? He's given His Son authority over all people, but more than that, to give eternal life to all those who the Father would give Him. And uh, go into verse 3. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so Jesus began his high, his high priestly prayer by coming to his heavenly Father as the Son. And in a sense, he prays for himself, but his words will have overtones, right? For what it means to be a disciple of his, to follow him. And Jesus, it says, lifts up his eyes. That's a good Jewish way of praying. He lifts up his eyes and he refers to God in our English word as Father, as Father. But Jesus actually spoke Aramaic when he was with his disciples. And so the text that that we have here comes to us from the Greek translation into the English. And the Greek for Father was Pater, Pater, 
And if we were to say that in English, it's father. But Jesus would have said the Aramaic, the Aramaic Abba. Abba. Not the super group from the 70s, of course. But Abba, father, right? And this was a, a, a warm, intimate, nesting, belonging type of reference of how we describe our relationship to our father. Right? And so Jesus is saying, this is what I and the father are like. This is what we have together. He's my daddy. And, and, and here's how I speak to him. And it was a great thing. It was, uh, the, the type of thing that the followers around them would have went, hmm, that's a real different way of talking about God as Father. That's really interesting. I was listening to a fellow who taught in uh, Bolivia, South America, for many years. And he said about 70% of the population there were indigenous peoples uh, from various tribes. And he said that when they prayed in Spanish, that that was actually their, their second tongue. But when they prayed or praised in their two mother tongues, I hope I pronounced these right, Quechua and Amare, they started crying. They started to cry. He said it was amazing to hear. When they moved from Spanish to their mother tongue in addressing God, it was a totally different experience for them. So much more intimate, emotional, and meaningful. So when we move from to the Aramaic Abba, we get more of a sense of the heart of God in Scripture. And we can tell anybody that we have a father, right? We can say, I have a father, but that's not the same thing as communicating what our father is like, what he means to us, how we relate to him. That is what the term Abba did for those who were listening to Jesus talk about his heavenly father in heaven. It was so much more revealing and personal than just the generic Father. And if you were to look up uh, such verses as Galatians 4.6, Romans 8.15, we won't go into those there now, but there you'll find that we're invited to pray, Abba. Paul the Apostle says, you pray that too. It's not just for Jesus to use. He says, you, follower of Christ, pray like Jesus did to your Abba, Father. Right? We're not to have a long-distance relationship with God. We're not to have a surface relationship with God. We're not to have a skin-deep relationship with God. We're not to have a politically correct relationship with God. We are to have a biblical one, a deep one, a warm one, a close one, right? And that's, that's the beauty of prayer between God's child and their father. That's the invitation for your life and my life. Your whole life your whole life and my whole life is about whether we are going to say yes to God, right? Yes to embracing a life of faith. Yes to embracing His truth. Yes to inviting His Son into our lives and into our hearts and live for Him. That's your purpose. That's God's beautiful plan for your life. A lot of people wonder, what's God's purpose for my life? God's purpose for your life is that you as His creation worship your Creator, right? If we don't get that right, well, we're just going to skim off the road in life, right? If, if, if we don't get that down first. That's his plan, that we say yes to his son. You know, eternity is a long time to be wrong about Jesus, right? It's a long time to be wrong about him. 
think with me. You and I have this, this, this short window of time to say yes to the Lord, right? If you were to live 90 years, we look at that from a human standpoint and we go, wow, that's a long life. But in relation to eternity, 90 years doesn't even register. It doesn't even register, right? So we have this short window of time to say yes to the things of God and say yes to Jesus in our lives. That's what we're invited to do in life and that's where Jesus begins with His prayer in John 17. And He said here, the, the hour has come. Some tra- translations say the time has come. So whenever we read of Jesus saying the hour has come or the time has come, that is a code word in the Gospel, okay? For the cross. That's a code word for the cross that He's talking about there. Jesus is saying this is the, the purpose of my God's coming to us, to you and I. The Lord was saying, God is revealing Himself in me, Jesus, on the cross. Some people say, you know, if God would just reveal Himself for me, if He'd just show me, if, 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 you know, if He'd just show up in person, walk on the water in front of me, I would believe, I'd be convinced, I'd change my life. But you know, in, in reality, God has done all He can to reveal Himself. He did that through Jesus on the cross. For Jesus to be on the cross, listen, for Jesus to be on the cross means that God is in solidarity with the sinner. He's in solidarity with you and I that way. There's, there's, there's no better way for God to reveal Himself, to relate to us, than to be able to say this, I know what it's like to be human. And God can say this because of Jesus. There's no better way for God to relate to us, reveal Himself to us, to convince us that He loves us. If I want to relate to my son's hobby of baseball, I'll play catch with him. I'll show him a few things. I'll get on the field with him. Right? I won't just talk to him about baseball. So God joined in our fallen state without becoming fallen Himself. But He came to us, right? Died for us. So now we choose Him. We choose Him in in every way. Donald Trump came to know the Lord Jesus as his Savior. He came to know Him by faith. And he said this, he said, I was convinced, I was convinced that I had nothing to lose by giving my life to a God who died for me. Convinced. So when we see Jesus on the cross, suffering for us, giving us new life through faith in Him, that's the most He could do to convince you and me. Not through signs, not through miracles, not through wonders, but through the cross. And that hour, the cross of Christ, is connected to this glory He refers to here in this prayer. How? Well, the cross of Christ reveals God's glory and Jesus' glory. What do we mean by glory? Well, God's glory is, is basically His eternal mode of existence. His eternal mode of existence. You and I, we change. We go through seasons in life. We go up, we go down. We go around, we come around again. We get some things right, and if you're like me, you get a lot of things wrong. But God, 
is always glory. He's always glory and He never changes. And He, God, also shares that glory with us at certain moments in His plan of redemption. And one of those moments was when Jesus was on the cross. We look at the cross and we say, that's a bad thing, it's a terrible thing, it's an ugly thing, and it was. But in the cross we also see the goodness of God. We see the glory of God, right? Uh, that's why we call it Good Friday. We, we could easily call it Black Friday. But that's not what the Bible tells us, right? It's, it's Good Friday because Jesus died for our own good, right? And we often, you know, ask God, oh, bless me, bless me, God, bless me in this way. Show yourself more to me. Reveal to me. Grant me this, grant me that. And I, and I think God loves those prayers. I honestly do because God wants nothing more than to glorify himself in your life and in my life. When Moses said to the Lord, remember this in the Old Testament, I want to see your face. And God said, well, that's not going to work so well, Moses, because if you see my face, you're going to die. Plan B, Moses. (laughs) Plan B. Here it is. I'm going to hide you behind a rock and I'm going to walk in front of you and you can see my back. That is the glory of God. The glory of God reveals something of Himself to you and to I. So one of the greatest prayers that we can pray as a Christian is God, glorify Yourself in me. Reveal more of who You are to me so that I can see it in my life. That's what Moses wanted. And the Lord said that He would cause His goodness, right? His goodness to pass by Moses, right? So God's revelation, His goodness, and His glory are all bound together. And the most powerful form of the glory of God, of the goodness of God, as we said, is in the ugliness of the imagery of the cross of Christ. That's the glory of God there. Jesus, who came to us as the Savior, as God wrapped in the awkward skin of a suffering Savior. So there's this reference to the glory of God in this prayer in John 17, and we share in that glory not only because it was revealed in and through Jesus on the cross, but because of the eternal life we gain by faith in Christ. Let me ask you, how often do you think of eternity? How often do you think of that point when you'll exit this life. I think of it all the time. I really, really do. I think of it often. Another way to see eternal life is as quality and quantity of life, right? Eternal life will be so qualitative that we will never cry again, never grow old or get sick or die for eternity. Isn't that wonderful? And it's so quantitative that our life will be endless. Isn't that wonderful? Let's put verse 3 back up on the screen again here. Jesus said, This is eternal life, that they know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom You have sent. Right? This is about a relationship. Right? We talk to our non-Christian friends, and they don't get it. And they say, what do you mean? But this is a relationship. It's not a formula. It's not a ritual. It's you and me in relationship with Jesus that reveals the heart of the Father. Why? Because Jesus said, I and the Father are one. 
Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Join with me. Walk the narrow road in this life. By my side. Wow, this is Almighty God talking. How could we refuse Him right? to walk with Him? Abraham Heschel. And don't worry if you never heard about him. I didn't either until I saw this. <laughs> the Jewish scholar of the 20th, the 20th century asked the famous question, what does the word G.O.D mean to us? Of course, he's Jewish, so he didn't write the word God, but he, but he was okay with putting G.O.D. He said, what does the word God mean to us? And I think this is a very good question for Christians to ponder every once in a while. Has he, God, sort of just become a word to us at times? You know, has he just become some sort of abstract expression of our faith? Or does he mean Abba, personal God, who loves us and cares for us, and someone whom we can know intimately and who longs to live through us by his Son and through the presence of his Holy Spirit? You know, people know, right? People know when they talk to us if um, our faith is just an idea that we carry or if it is a relationship that we take seriously that guides our life, right? So that's the beginning portion of Jesus' prayer. Then the Lord goes on and uh, prays for his immediate followers. But once again, remember that, that we are also a part of this prayer, right? We are coming along after, but we are included in this as well. Can we put up verses 6 to 8 there for us? Jesus says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believe that you sent me. I have made your name known. That's what the Lord was talking about. And when, and when he said that, he was talking about the Father. And whenever Jesus in the gospel says, I have made the Father known, what he's talking about is the character of the Father. The character. So a person's name in the Old Testament times, remember, um, often reflected something uh, about the character, right, of, of the child. So that's why oftentimes Jewish parents would not name the child until eight to ten days after the birth because they would take that week or so to observe the child, and then they would name them according to whatever character they see in them. And so when we look at the names for God in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, Jesus embodies them all, right? He embodies them all. That is why he could say, I and the Father are one. To know Jesus, to know Jesus is to know God the Father. To cite the name of Jesus is to cite the name of God himself. You know, for three long years, Jesus revealed the character of his father to his disciples. And Jesus made his father's name and character known to you and me. And the Lord in verse 8 was using active words, right? They're they're verbs in his prayer. He said the followers accepted him. They knew him. They believed in him. And when I read that, I often think Jesus was really excited about this. He was really excited that there were people following him, right? I mean... He would have had to have been. You know, in many ways, Jesus' ministry, by the standards of the world, wasn't very successful. Don't stone me. Don't stone me. By the standard of the world, right, Jesus' ministry was not very successful. I mean, he had 11 guys. Now, you could say, I mean, the 12th didn't work out so well, but he had 11 guys. 
And yeah, there were some stragglers that followed him, but, but Jesus never added to the core group that he called, who he knew, who he knew really loved him, who, who, who really wanted to know him more, who were close to him and stuck by him and followed him. Just 11 people, not 10,000, not a million. So if we plant a church and we get 11 people, it's par for the course, right? <laughs> And Jesus was thankful for those the Father gave to him. And the Lord would pray on behalf of those followers, which of course includes us as well. And Jesus was not praying on behalf of, of the world. And we see this through this prayer. He wasn't praying on behalf of the world. The world here is anything that is opposed to God. right? So Jesus was praying for his own. He wasn't praying for the Romans or for Pilate or for those who would soon critique him and dismiss him and execute him, they were a part of all that was opposed to the purposes of God and which was absent of love and which rebels against the love of God. Jesus wasn't praying at all for these people or for the world. The word world in, in uh, John's Gospel has, has two meanings. The first refers to the cosmos, right? The universe, the atmosphere, but the second meaning has to do with the fallen realm of sin. And it was this second meaning that Jesus was referring to here in John 17. And so the world can refer to lust, it can refer to, to, to pride, to hate, greed, murder. It can be all those things. And we have a sin nature and the world can rub off on us sometimes. And we try to seek God, but on the other side we can resist God. Has that ever happened to you? Please tell me I'm not the only one. Right? Seeking God, resist God. Seeking God, resist God. Right? And um, so, you know, when we act with greed and selfishness, we're acting worldly. Right? It's like we're saying, God, I don't, I don't, I don't really want you right now. I want my own way. We want to climb the spiritual mountain, but part of us wants to stop and go the way of the world. And that is when we need to keep coming back to Jesus. Listen, I'm only preaching what I try to practice. Okay. Uh, you know, we need to come back to Jesus, you know, and say, I want you more. Help me with just this, help, help me with this vice, this thing that I'm going through. You know, why do I keep stumbling over this, Lord? Why do I keep tripping on this? These, these worldly things in my life and in my heart, we become saved and then 20 years later we think we're past something and then the devil says, yeah, we'll see about that. And then we cross it again and boom, we fall, right? And so there's that, that need we possess, right? <laughs> to come back to God that we may know Him more, may walk with Him more deeply and serve Him. Know the power of His resurrection. Right? And that begins with prayer. Begins with prayer. That's where we need to go. Jesus knew that we falter and that's why He had to pray for His followers' protection. In verse 15, Jesus prays, right? Uh, can, can we put verse 15 up? Thank you. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So Jesus knows, listen, Jesus knows that we are called to receive Him and believe in Him and serve Him and love Him in a fallen realm. In a fallen realm. It'll be easy in heaven. It'll be like a piece of cake. But we're trying to do these things in a fallen realm, right? And what did Jesus tell His followers about the world? Don't be surprised if the world hates you because they hated me first. 
So what is this prayer about in John 17? Well, first, it's so that we'll know God as Abba, know Him intimately. The second principle is that we'll actively know Jesus in a powerful, real way, serve Him as His friends. He called us who follow Him that in John 13, sorry, John 15. Isn't it amazing that Jesus wants to relate to us as friends, not as His servant, really, but as His friend? I think that's amazing. Then when we come to the last piece of this prayer and passage, again, Jesus is praying. Let's put up verse 17 to 19. Sanctify them, He says, by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent Me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify Myself that they too may be truly sanctified. And this this, this last part of this prayer focuses on holiness and receiving and engaging our mission. I'm going to try to unpack this very quickly. The reason we say yes to Jesus is so that we will know Him, right? And we will uh, see Him as as a friend. Um, He doesn't want to see us as a servant. He wants to see us as a friend. And we want to be able to demonstrate His light to the world. And I think the Lord is saying we need to be advancing in holiness of living. How many people find holiness of living very difficult? Everybody better raise their hands or I'm going to feel really bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Do you ever read the Sermon on the Mount and say, impossible, cannot do this, right? Holiness of living, yikes. Sanctification and service. But oddly enough, they go hand in hand here, the Lord says. And um, this is God's beautiful plan for your life and my life, right? Let me ask you, how's that plan going, right? Are we advancing in holiness? Hmm. Are we advancing in, in, in the call that God has put upon our life? Right? Are we engaging in mission and our commission that He gave us, this great one? Right? This mission is something we are to receive each day, not all at once. It's like we came to know the Lord once. We don't have to go back and know the Lord again. But the Great Commission is something that we are to receive on a daily basis. It's an ongoing process, right? Every morning, Lord, how can I serve you? Where do you want me to be? In my church family or at, or, or, or at the workplace and things like, like that, right? And our willingness to engage in our God-willed mission brings fulfillment to our life. This has taken a long time for me, personally, to wrap my mind around. Jesus says, right, I've come to give you life abundantly. And immediately, what do we think? Possessions, material, happiness, resources, abundance. But when we look at the Gospels, we see that part of what it means to have an abundant life is to give ourselves in service to the Lord and have Him work through us. That is what in part brings fulfillment in our lives. If you've ever led anyone to the Lord, you know, right? You know the incredible feeling that that gives you that that cannot be compensated by a paycheck, that cannot be compensated by a pat on the back you know that you have made an eternal difference in somebody's life. Jesus is praying for you and I right now. He's praying all these wonderful things we've seen in John 17. That's why it is so important to read that prayer over and over. 
It's God's beautiful plan. As I end, God has a dream and a plan for your life. Listen, many times in my life I have struggled. God, what's your plan? I don't see your plan. God, what's your plan? I don't see a plan. But he has a dream and he has a plan. And it's uh, not to make America great again or anything like that, right? <laughs> I, I, I think that's a great line, but anyway. Um, his, his plan is to make his great son manifest in your life and in your heart. And we just need to hang on, right? Because this world is tough and it's a, it's a mad, bad, sad, darkening world. And we need to hang on, hang on, hang in. Our redemption is almost nigh. Let's pray. Lord, we rest on your wonderful words today. And we um, thank you that they are food for our souls. They are light for our path. They are truth. And we need to live in the light of them. As difficult as hard as it can be at times. Help us to keep our hearts pointed north towards you. I pray for a blessing upon Pastor Paul, Lord, um, upon his health, that he will be better very soon. It's a, it's a tough job. There's a lot to do. There's a lot of burdens to carry. A lot of things And uh, we need our health. And so, Lord, I pray that he would feel your strength and his weakness. We thank you for this time together in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.